Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Coleman Had a Dream podcast. We have got lots of interesting stuff to talk to you about today. We're going to be talking about the new Wales kit, and it's leaking. Uh, we're going to be talking about Wales against Greece, as the Wales women's team have two huge games coming up. We're going to be talking a little bit about Swansea City, and we're going to be talking about Wales's defensive options ahead of the World Cup in Qatar and the squad announcement. Um, I'm joined, as always, by Ruth. Hi, hi Ruth. Uh, hi, Ruth. How are you doing? <laughs> all right, all right. Things are things are good here. Just you know, wrapping up the summer, getting ready for the for the autumn to hit in this part of Oregon. But no, been good. What about you guys? Yeah, all good here. Thanks. Just gone back to school this week. Uh, last week, sorry. Uh, so a little bit hectic, as you can see. I'm already bumbling over my words. So the tiredness of returning to work after seven weeks of doing bugger all is obviously kicking back in, which is great. Um, so yeah, all good here. Thanks. Um, Ruth is in a new location today. Ruth has experimented with a new coffee shop. So hopefully you'll be able to hear her loud and clear. Uh, speaking of coffee, a seamless link. Um, it would be great if you would consider supporting us. We are on buymeacoffee.com forward slash Coleman's dream. Anything and everything you can do to kind of help support us is mass- massively appreciated. Uh, we've been running this podcast for about four years now. Four years, Ruth. Um, and uh, obviously it is, not a, it is not a free hobby. So anything that you would consider doing to help and support us would be very, very much appreciated. That's buymeacoffee.com forward slash Coleman's dream. Um, let's stop selling. Can I, can I just add Go my on. point to the folks that have already contributed? Yes, that is a very good shout. Thank you to everyone who's already uh, contributed. Uh, we are very, very grateful. Um, to look at the reason that people do support us, let's talk about some football. Ruth, let's start uh, with the new Wales kit and it being leaked. First of all, what do you think about the way it looks? I think my my immediate reaction was a little underwhelmed. Um, I think what I was hoping was that in, I don't know, 20 years' time, you'd look at it and you'd, it would be evocative enough that you'd immediately say, oh, that's the kit we wore in Qatar, you know, that's the kit we wore for the World Cup. And I'm not sure there's anything kind of uh, striking or at least, in, you know, kind of nuanced in this one. Um, that said, though, I think it's somewhat classic nature starting to grow on me a little bit. Um, so at first, First glance, I much prefer the away kit, which seems to at least have some something, you know, eye-catching about it. Nuance, admittedly, but there is at least something going on with the away kit. Yeah, for, for those of you who haven't seen it, uh, the home kit is red. It looks like there's kind of some sort of pattern, if you like, kind of as part of the kit. It's a very kind of old school material, apparently. Um, I think it's definitely one that needs to be seen in real life first to kind of get the full effect. Um, the away kit is, it looks like it's white with red Adidas stripes on it. And then in the paneling, if you like, underneath the arms, uh, it has the, the chevrons from the 1984 away Umbro white kit, um, which I do quite like. And the collar's kind of got like red and white and green in it, which again, I do also mm-hmm. like. Um, I just, I tell you what, the reason I don't like it is A, because maybe I don't like it, it's a bit harsh, but I'm not keen on it, is because it was kind of intimated through a selection of tweets from Noel Mooney that 
it would kind of had a real retro feel to it. And I think maybe on, on closer inspection, if, if, if we, you were to buy it, then maybe it does. But I was kind of expecting something with the white stripes on it, especially when he kind of hinted without buying Munich kit um, or even white sleeves or something a bit kind of unique and different. And that kind of hasn't really happened. So I do think that is where a lot of my disappointment, I say a lot of my disappointment, it's not keep me up at night, but that's where a lot of that comes from in my mind. Um, the away kit, like you say, does look a lot nicer. Um, you also make, uh, make a, an interesting point as well, because I think the 2016 kit, for example, simplicity-wise, is is no great shakes. Um, Looks-wise, sorry, is no great shakes, but it is very simple, and I think that is part of its attraction. And I think it will always be an iconic kit, wearing that red shirt with the white shorts and the goals that we scored and the journey that we went on. I think the memories make the kit more evocative if if that's the right way to say it rather than the the look of it sometimes do, do you think that's fair or am i just over overly romanticizing this no no i think i think it's it's easy to feel connected to a kit when it brings back good memories even if that kit itself is not terribly kind of awe inspiring um there are a couple of things i like about it i like the badge on the socks front and center on the socks i think that's a yeah i like the green I like the green piping that's kind of around the seam on the back of the shirt, but not on the front of the shirt, and is cut on the shorts. I think that's just a little different. Um, I just, I, I think I'm with you in terms. I, I just want to see it for real. No one that this is actually fit it, um, and and hope that there's something within the red patterning the fabric that just gives it a little bit of interest. Yeah, I do hope that that's the case. I mean, thank you to everyone who messaged us asking about that. Uh, what did you think about it was leaked, Dave? I mean, I, I think that's actually kind of cool, doing it by DJs and things. Um, over here in the States, the, the kit was leaked by it putting up, being put on display in a Dick's Sporting good by, Goods by mistake, and <laughs> terribly well. And an interesting reaction from some of the players is a lot of fan reaction not very positive and even a couple of the players have, have piped in with yeah well we warned them about this and, you know we told them about this that it wouldn't go down well we found quite interesting i think that's you know perhaps stepping over the line a bit I personally don't like the way it was leaked, which I'm sure is, makes me a very old man. I, I just think for something like this, you have to really, really go and look for it. And I get that that's why they've done it. And I just, and again, it raises more questions than answers. And again, I know that's why they've done it. It's a great marketing boy, blah, blah, blah. Because as much as I'm moaning about it, we are still sat here talking about it. So I suppose they've got their desired effect. I think that I just, I don't know. I just, just come and release it because that's not something for football fans. That's something for marketing purposes. Like, and I think it should be something that's directed at football fans, not, you know, some some Welsh DJ. And I mean, no disrespect to him. I, you know, listening to that kind of music is not my bag. So I suppose I was never going to follow this guy and keep up with him anyway. I don't know. I just feel like they should do a proper launch. Like, it should be something. It's the first time we've gone to a World Cup in however long. And we should be, you know, this should be a big thing. We should be presenting this. The player should be wearing it. And, and do you know, I think it should be, I don't know, maybe it should be more like that. I think another thing that, to go along with this, I don't know if you've seen this, but Adidas have done a load of their kind of official reveals today of some of the home shirts and away shirts. And some of them are so nice. Um, ironically, the Germany one, which normally is a good one, is, I don't think looks that good this time. But some of them are so nice. Such great kind of intricate patterns on some of them. And I just, 
and I think that has also kind of contributed to my slight frustration in that I just think they've got some crackers like the Japan one I th- when we talked about the World Cup the, you know when we did this four years ago I remember telling you that I was going to go and buy the Japan shirt which I did do and it was an absolute beauty and their away shirt this time I think is another cracker and I just feel like we should be part of that you know we're in that gang we should be part of that and I feel like we're not, and I don't know, you know, I don't know what, I, what, where I'm going with this. I'm just moaning now for the sake of moaning, because it's only a bloody football shirt. It's not the end of anyone's world, is it? So with that being said, let's move on and talk about something else. Uh, let's talk about something more important. <laughs> Ruth, Wales women are playing Greece on Friday night. Huge, huge game in the context of the, the qualifiers for the World Cup in Australia. Um, basically, Wales need to win two games from two to guarantee themselves a place in the playoffs. There is a selection of other permutations and whatever else happens after that we will not go back into now. But in short, that's where we stand. So huge game on on Friday, Ruth. Are you going to be able to watch it? I hope so. Yeah, I think I can... Uh, well, maybe I better not say how I can watch it. <laughs> I think I can watch it. <laughs> I'm confident, Ruth, that the FBI will not be listening in to these, uh, to these podcasts. <laughs> But uh, yes, yeah, that's the plan. That's the plan. Um, I was looking at the different permutations. I think four points will be enough um, for us for us to hang on to second place. It's all very complicated because we lose the we lose the points against the the bottom place team in the group and all that sort of thing. So it's actually really hard to track between different groups. But I think I think four points is going to be enough. I think though, because we're playing Slovenia in the last game I think it dep- it matters which way round it comes if we beat Greece and draw with Slovenia because we drew with Slovenia away mm-hmm. I, think, I think we'll be in the same position we were in before where you know it depends on the score of the draw if that makes sense yeah. um, mm-hmm. so it's not quite as simple as four points gets us there four points gets us there if we draw with Greece and beat Slovenia so the right. other, other way round it becomes a bit more complicated ultimately I think we need to win both just to give ourselves as, as high a boost in the, yes. the the playoff seedings that will follow that. I think that's that's yeah. the, one of the most key things. But before we go too far uh, down this never-ending road that qualification <laughs> for this World Cup appears to be, let's look at the opposition a bit. Um, what what do you think about the Greeks so far, just in terms of of their abilities and and how and how they play? I mean, on the face of it, you'd say we should be okay. We'd be them five nil last November and they didn't they didn't show much and yet they went straight from that game with us and got a nil nil draw with Slovenia so you know I think there's more there than perhaps our result at home would indicate um they're getting something out of three quarters of their their home games they're taking at least a point and the majority of games they're getting a win at home so I think they're a different proposition over there and I think we have to be careful that we don't let the 5-0 win kind of cloud cloud how we go. I think that's a fair point. And I think the thing you've said there about what it's like over there, I think is really important, especially at this time of year. I think it's interesting yeah. how they've been had a real balance to things. They've done well against some teams, but kind of been crushed by others, ourselves and France. And they lost 10-0 mm-hmm. to France, uh, being the notable, the notable standouts there. I mean, their squad is very mixed as well. A lot of experience, but also a lot of younger cap players, especially like their strikers, for example. In the last squad, two of their four strikers haven't scored a goal yet for their country. Um, 
so there's not a huge amount of goals in, in the squad, h- historically, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that it's interesting that only two of their players play outside of Greece. Everyone else plays yeah. in Greece. One of them plays, uh, Marku plays in Germany and Giorgio plays in Italy. So I also think that's interesting when you consider as well how mixed, if you like, our squad is. And I appreciate we, you know, a lot of our players play in the in the English league, but that's obviously a, a very, very high standard uh, comparatively mm-hmm. to the Greek domestic league. So I do think that's interesting as well. Um, I, yeah, Mark, Marku, who plays for Essen, is she's probably their class, really, isn't she? And is and is amongst the most experienced of the current crop of players. They're at an interesting stage where you know, experienced in that squad is you know thirty to forty caps, which is it's actually quite unusual in the women's game that you haven't got players on the field with you know that are more like 70 or 80. So I think they're in an interesting phase for their development as well, aren't they, as a, as a footballing nation? Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And I think you could probably see that from their results. You're going to, you know, they're taking a, a crushing against the French, but also producing a good result against the, the Slovenians as well, again, on, on the balance of things. So that, that shows in their results. And I suppose ultimately we've just got to hope that we get the good end of that stick and not the bad end mm-hmm. on, on the basis that, you yeah. know, to all intents and purposes, it doesn't matter to them in terms of qualifying. How big a part do you think the the conditions will play? Because, I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's 34 degrees over there at the minute, for example. Yeah. So, I mean, that is still hot stuff, isn't it? I think, um, I mean, I'm hoping that we get deep enough into the, get 60 minutes into the game and, we're, you know, we've made not, secured it but we're in a position where bringing on some substitutes doesn't isn't the end of the world I think we've got a little bit of bench depth now that we might not have had two or three years ago and so I'm hoping that we can freshen things up without without it having the impact on the play that it might have done a few years ago and hopefully in these conditions that'll you know that'll obviously help um one other interesting thing Ooh, oppa. Um, one other thing that I considered, uh, which might be a part of this, is that obviously with the the Euros happening and the the impact that has on the season starting, mm-hmm. the se- the season doesn't start until after this window. So I think yeah. it's also going to be a real mixed bag in terms of fitness. A for them because mm-hmm. obviously they are going to be in the middle of. You know, a, a very different preseason to, let's say, Ahara James, who's who's playing for for Tottenham, and I think that's a really interesting part of this as well. Is because our players are fresh because they haven't really been playing games. Jess Fishlock aside, um, mm-hmm. compared with you know going in to, to to this game, whereas they may have a slightly different level of preseason. If I'm if I'm saying that in the in the most polite way. So I, I also yeah. wonder with the conditions and the heat if that will have you know that big an impact on the game as well. Considering that there might be a lot of players who, when it gets to I don't know seventy minutes, might be might be blown a bit. I think that may end up having more impact on us in the second game. I right. think that might be a factor that we got to be perhaps more aware of going into the second game. And I think it will depend on... And they've, they've had a reasonably lengthy pre-season listening to some interviews. It's not like, you know, they've barely been with their clubs and now they're rolling up for us. I think the the level of professionalism and prep work and things in the women's game now is so different than it was not so long ago that I'm, I would hope that, that 
perhaps that isn't the factor that we fear. But I think if we're going to see it, we're probably going to see it in the second game. Yeah, that's a fair shout, actually. That's a fair shout. Um, I contacted Gwenan Harris before the game, uh, who's going to be working on comms for both of the games. And she said that both games seem harder on paper uh, than they actually are. If I said that right around, as in they will be a tougher game than people think they will be. Uh, but she expects mm-hmm. she expects us to win both, which is uh, a bold claim. Obviously, she, <laughs> she's going to be better at our predictions game than we are, which I would expect nothing else uh, from Gwenan. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I'm I'm glad someone like her of her stature giving us that sort of positivity is is very much something I think we needed. I think she was talking about there, or she mentioned sorry, the the game seeing harder on on paper than they actually are. I think what's interesting about our squad is that it's very very consistent, isn't it? We we have the same mm-hmm. core of players with a few extra bonus people coming in, and I think that continuity and that strength and, and is super important. Plus, the players started meeting up today; they're having a full week together before the game. I, I also think that's really going to have a positive impact as well. Yeah, and I think I think Granger is pretty settled, not necessarily on her starting eleven, but maybe at least her starting kind of nine, and then you know. Um, two from maybe four, depending on. And obviously, we've got a couple of injuries. Esther Morgan's out, Hannah Kane's out, uh, out of the squad for pretty long-term injuries in, in in their cases. But I think, you know, you look how we started against the French back in April. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if we see the same the same eleven. I think that I think the question is whether it's Kaylee Green or Carrie Jones up front. Carrie Jones played very well in that game. Yeah, um, so, I, but I don't think there's a huge number of decisions for Granger to make really on that starting team, as long as she's happy that with everybody's fitness, given as you were saying earlier, given the, the point we are in the season. See, I wonder if we might set up ever so slightly differently to how we did against France. I think in the game against France, we were more 4-2-3-1, uh, where, mm-hmm. where we'd have kind of pace supporting uh, Carrie Jones, that movement of hard in Fishlock Holland, and I think, obviously, Jones is a more versatile, mobile striker, I would say, than Green. Yeah. Whereas I wonder if we may go back and set up like we did against the Greeks the first time round, we still had a similar sort of shape, but the, the holding role was more based on Ingle to kind of sit in and do the hold and let everyone else go mm-hmm. fill their boots and have a target player, if you like, uh, as, as Kay- Kaylee Green was that night and, and have everything mm-hmm. kind of happen around us. So I, I do think there is actually a bit more of a, of, a, of a question mark. Obviously, as you mentioned there, Esther Morgan started that game at left back. So I assume as uh, you know, that won't be the same. I think Rachel Rowe will come back as she did against the yeah. French. Um, but I, I would say that Holland has that, that spot nailed on and then really Harden, mm-hmm. Fishlock, Ingle, James are all nailed on as well. So ultimately, I think you're right, the only selection dilemma is Kaylee Green. But I think having that presence up front, that physicality is something that will appeal to Granger given the opposition. Uh, and, and I think the movement around her, the runners around her will, will have that similar attraction as well. So personally, I think we might go with Green up front and be a bit more, have that ability to be a bit more direct as well. I think I, I can I can see the argument. I, I think you can make a case either way for the, for you know either Jones or or Green. I wonder whether Green's temperament has kind of maybe is coming into play in this a little bit. The number of of cards and hence whether 
you know, going with the hope of playoffs coming up, whether Granger would just rather not rather not uh, dice with any of that. I don't, I don't know. I wonder if that is part of the thinking. Well, it's interesting to say that I had that down in my Slovenia notes. We're not going to go into too much detail on Slovenia right. game because obviously a lot of stuff can happen and change between now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that's a part of it. Less so, I think, in the Greece game myself just because of the type of game it will be. But you're, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. That that need for, you know, keeping cool heads in what will be hot conditions will be will be really yeah. important. Um We've obviously talked a little bit there about what our team will look like. I think the recent results is also something we else we wanted to mention on, because they obviously had that nil-nil draw with them, uh, with Slovenia. Sorry, do you think that is a sign of them being capable of kind of churning things out and how the importance of a clean sheet, or do you think that was more of a a one-off that was their their highest point, if you like? Um. No, I mean, I think that's a. I think that was a good result for them, and I think they'll be looking to build on it. They also, I mean, they beat Estonia home and away in April, and I know you know Estonia are, are going to finish probably just above Kazakhstan in the group. But Greece scored three goals in each of those games, so they're, you know, they've got capabilities. I think we just have to be careful that, as we said at the start, that we don't underestimate them based on how we did against them in that five nil victory. Their heads went down by half time, and I think. You know, just going to be mindful that that's at home. I think there'll be a different proposition. Yeah. Um, I d- I don't think it's a game we should go into with any fears. Really, I think we're eminently capable of winning this game. I think we just have to be mindful of the sort of con- concerns that we've raised, or excuse me, the sort of concerns we've raised already, like the temperature, the point in the season, everybody's pre-season training. You know, not not overdoing things, being mindful of the fact that we've got a follow-up game on Tuesday. You know, just, I think it's the ancillary stuff that we need to be mindful of, perhaps more so than necessarily just what's going to happen on the field. Yeah, I think that's fair. I I also think a, a quick start is key to it. I do wonder as well, mm-hmm. the longer this game kind of goes on, how we can get in our own heads a little bit um you know i think was it estonia we we only won one nil after beating them five nil at home or something like that i i Mm -hmm. I think that's a good example of that where if we don't get an early goal it can kind of we can become a little bit unsettled and you know that's not our strength do you think do you think we've got better at that though like you look how we've come back in games recently and put pressure on them and how we how we were performing late in the games against the french for example do you think that's perhaps something we're improving i mean definitely i think and that's the aim i think there's no question about Mm -hmm. that about kind of dominating the game against in inverted commas weaker teams so i do think we have got better but i i i think the thing is against the french let's say we kind of had to be gung-ho there we almost had nothing to lose going into that so i do think that's not the most accurate reflection of the situation i think it's a very different type of pressure when you're chasing a game you i don't want to say are predicted to lose because that seems a bit harsh, but that, that's probably the reality. Whereas I think when mm-hmm. you when you're the strong team, if you like, against Greece, Estonia, Kazakhstan, whatever, then you are, then it's a different kind of pressure. And I think that can be a little bit. I think our kind of weakest point is making the most of the ball and the opportunities we get when we're on top. And that is still true of those other big games against France. You know, those those two games against Norway in the in the previous campaign, I'd say were good examples of that. We're not, not making the most of things. So I do think that kind of alarm bell, if you like, is still there and can ring from time to time. But I, I do think that you're right, on the whole, we've got we've got better at that. Um 
to mm-hmm. to uh, to wrap this little bit up before we talk about the Slovenia game very briefly. Um, do you dare make a prediction? Well, I say do you dare make a prediction, Ruth. You are making one, whether you like it or not. You're going to so, ask me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm going to go two nil for us. Well, blow me down. I said two nil as well. <laughs> Um, so there you are if you're going to have a bet on the game avoid 2-0 at all costs (laughs) if we both think it's the same it definitely won't happen Um, although I will say actually Ruth I put um, I put a fiver on Newcastle to draw with Man City a couple of weeks ago um, which I was very very delighted to see that one come in and at one point my mate Tom had a tenner on Newcastle to win 3-1 so at a point (laughs) at a point we were almost uh, you know calling in sick the next day and uh, and (laughs) And going on, going on a big bender with the he was winning he was set to win over a grand so uh, mm-hmm. I don't know I'm I'm telling this story like it's a great story it didn't end that way I I, I won <laughs> well, you came didn't. out ahead <laughs> yeah that's true actually that doesn't happen often so let's uh, let's enjoy that anyway um we're not going to go into too much detail about the Slovenia game just a few things I think that was worth mentioning I think first of all um, it's fantastic to see the the numbers and the and the ticket sales that uh, that are going ahead ahead of this game. Yeah, wonderful. Um, last I read, it was about eight and a half, but I imagine it's gone up up from that over the over the last few days. Um, I think you know a Friday Friday tea time game helps. I think being in Cardiff, not that the crowd haven't been good to go, going over to Thunethi recently, but I think being in Cardiff helps. Um, I'm sorry, I said Friday tea time game. I think Tuesday tea time game yes. um, for that one. And then I think you know they the. FAW have obviously put in a lot of effort in terms of groups and schools and, you know, getting the crowd out. And I, I think it's it's paying dividends. And this is work they've been doing for, for several years now. So I'm I'm glad for them that, you know, it's it's bringing in some some real rewards. Absolutely. I mean, if we could get anywhere near 10,000, you know, some walk-ins mm-hmm. on, on the night or whatever, I think it would be fantastic, uh, both for the, for the game, the importance of it, but also for for the players and, and just women's football in Wales in mm-hmm. general. Um, also wanted to add that uh, Walgorcha and Minewod have created a song sheet, um, which we retweeted today, come up with a selection of different tunes and lyrics for uh, from some of the different players, which will hopefully help create an atmosphere. So I think that's, that's great. Um, so if you do want to go and look at their Twitter, uh, there's, there's a load of different stuff. You can find it on ours as well, because I retweeted that too. Um, the one thing I did want to mention there, and you, you alluded to it before there, Ruth, is is the discipline in these two games because of the knock-on effect it might have in, in terms of the playoffs. I think, yeah. I, I think, obviously, it's a difficult balance because we do need to get something for both of these games. We have to beat Greece, and, and realistically, we have to beat Slovenia, depending on how other results go for them, to guarantee ourselves that place. But obviously, if things go awry, then there's a knock-on impact for the playoffs. So... That mm-hmm. keeping a cool head in this circumstance is huge, isn't it? Especially in front of what will be a bumper crowd um, and everything else that goes along with that. Do you, do you think that's important as well? Or do we just have to focus on these two games, win these two games and, and suffer the consequences if they come because this is the first time we will have done this? So is that the priority or do we need to have an eye on what comes next? I think the priority has to be getting to the playoffs. But I would hope that there is some lessons learned over this campaign in terms of the I think you know particularly ironically in the in the forwards and Kaylee Green obviously is the most guilty of this that we've we have to be disciplined we have to make sure we have 11 players on the field and we have to you know we have to 
use our playing advantage to our advantage. And so I think, I think what I want to see is some lessons learned, but not not at the detriment of of um, you know being sort of passive and careful because clearly clearly qualifying for the playoffs is key here. I mean, I don't want to get too you know. I, you know I am a fan of... I, I'm a nervy football watcher. Um, but it is mad, really, that it comes down to that last game. And, you know, we've got Greece. Hopefully everything goes to plan there. Equally, they've got Kazakhstan, which they'll realistically probably win that game. And it, whatever happens there, obviously, we you know, there's some possibilities for us. If we win that, a, a draw will be enough, as you said before. That was my mistake, sorry, because... With two points clear of them, um, but equally that only counts if we beat <laughs> if we beat Greece. <laughs> equally, if we beat Greece and they beat uh, Kazakhstan, then we can go into this final game. And if they beat us, that you know, there's still everything on the line for them. They, if they beat us, they are the ones that mm-hmm. go into the playoffs. So I mean, the, the the pressure and the occasion and everything is huge. And I, you know, I remember when we had that game against England. Uh, uh, previously that was a, a, a kind of death or glory final game but mm-hmm. this is in a whole different sphere again in terms of kind of pressure and everything else because you know we were expected to lose to England if you like given how good they were at the time whereas this is you know two winnable games for us or you know two games we can at least expect to be more than competitive in so you know the mm-hmm. the, the pressure and the circumstances you know I don't want to overhype things here but I mean it is still it's two colossal big games and that second one is just I think you would struggle to think of a of a bigger game possibly in the history of women's football in Wales um I mean I, I yes and no I mean I think that England game was you know that was if we'd won we were going to the World Cup whereas this this one if we if we win them we're, we're going to the playoffs so I think there is somewhat different there um but I think the exciting thing is that we're getting to these games. I mean, we've said this with the men's, haven't we? That, you know, there were years where just being relevant in competitions would have been more than enough for us. And, you know, obviously now we're, we're getting a little greedy in that front. And it's, not, it's nice to be starting to feel something similar with the women's game. Yeah, I, I would place it above the England game because it's a game we have a realistic chance of winning. And... And mm-hmm. I, you know, we were always on the back foot in that England game, and fantastic though it was, I think we, this is an opportunity for us to go out and show what we're capable of. And you're right, if we'd have won that, the prize, the prize was immediate, whereas now it's not. So mm-hmm. there is more to that, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, fantastic two games. I'm not going to make you do a prediction for the Slovenia game, Ruth, because we've got another game to win before that, as we mentioned against Greece. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, before we do that, I did just want to add, sorry, we got a load of people asked us uh, about the kit. Um, so I just wanted to name check a few people who messaged us, which was great. The 16th man on Twitter mm-hmm. sent us a message. Uh, Gaff Evans uh, mentioned us. Um, and my, you know, the catchiest name on Twitter at the moment, which is at that 1984 on TTWAR. I have, uh, I, you know, it's catchy. Um, so they... <laughs> They are, we're going to come back to that one as well because they asked us a, a quiz question, which I certainly don't have the answer to. But um, I think it will be an interesting one because it leads into what we're going to be talking about in a bit. Um, we wanted to very briefly, well, not yeah, kind of briefly talk about Swansea. Um, 
I think they are in a really interesting position at the moment um, with the results they've got, the situation with the players and owners and everything that kind of goes along with that. And it's it's not really looking positive for them given the way their season has started. They lost to Middlesbrough on the weekend uh, despite, again, kind of dominating possession but not making the most of that. I just wondered, Ruth, what you thought of their start to the season in the first instance. Uh, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Because you look at their position in the league, 22nd in the league, five points from six games, you know, that kind of sets alarm bells off. And I think the fact that, you know, Piero, he only scored his first goal at the weekend and that was a penalty. And, you know, and you look at what's happening with the owners and the selling and not buying the, the desire to kind of play with wing backs when they haven't really got what seems like a plethora of natural wing backs. They look a bit, a bit sort of young and naive when I don't think they're actually that young. You know, it's, it's, there's a whole load of kind of contradictions going on in there. And I think it's, I think it's easy to get caught up in the fact that they're 22nd in the league, but then the league is all over the place. Burnley, uh, uh, I've got nine points from their six games, yet they're in sixth, you know? So I think it's a, it's, it's a little bit early to kind of panic from just the league position and the points point of view. I think where the questions are more, perhaps should be more focused, are around Russell Martin and the, the organisation of the team and playing people in the positions that work for them. And this, and it, I think in a previous pod, we talked about the approach perhaps being a little bit too dogmatic to this sort of possession-based game and, you know, lovely on the eye and all that sort of thing. And in that league, do you need to be a little bit more savvy and a little bit more sort of open to what you can do with the players within your squad? And I, th- I think there are some, definitely some questions around that. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, for, it's interesting. I, I asked this question on, on Saturday after the game. I agree with everything you've said so far, especially the league table is a bit convoluted. I mean, I mean if they, if they mm-hmm. were to win their next game and results go their way, which would have to have a, a, a... They could go as high as 14th, I think, which is ironically where mm-hmm. Cardiff are. Um, yeah. So I get it. We're only six games in. There's a lot... You know, it's not a, a, a black and white situation, as, as I've referenced before there. But what I do find interesting is... I asked on Twitter, are we blaming the owners, are we blaming the players, are we blame the manager, are we blaming everyone. Um, and I was really interested to see that I got, I think, eight responses, and I think I got two different, like, sets of responses, if you know what I mean. Like, like mm-hmm. everyone said something a bit different. The thing you've mentioned there about the fullbacks and the wingbacks not being replaced, I think, is very, very important and very, very true. So to one extent, that's the manager's, you know, there's nothing a manager can do about that if someone else has made that decision. But then it is the manager's fault if they continue to persist in that way, playing players out of position or unbalancing them, especially in terms of their depth. <laughs> Equally, I suppose his hands are tied, Russell Martin, if the, if the owners brought in, I think it was 11 million for downs and have spent about 2 million. He, he can't do much about that. Yeah. They've also said they want to generate assets, which is... which is a huge alarm bell to me. Um, So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's the owners on one side. Equally, the players have got to take some kind of responsibility. Um, 
in terms of you know if if the if the player if a player makes a mistake, there's there's not a huge amount that the the manager can do about it to an extent. Uh, and mm-hmm. Dan, and Dan Pritchard made that point. Someone who messaged and responded on Twitter, saying there's no point changing the manager yet. Can't see who coming instead. We're not going to sign anyone anyway. When they're on the pitch, the manager can't do anything about individual errors. That's what's costing us. I'm fascinated by the kind of the variation in in opinion towards all of this. My the last one, and then I'll I'll, I'll let you come back in. Is Lewis Richard replied to that message? Richards, sorry, and said departures from last season not replaced. No wing backs of quality and a tendency to fall apart quickly. If the opposition pulls the thread, we just unravel. That's a huge alarm bell number one. And add that to the mm-hmm. to what I said about the owners, and I'll and I'll come back to them when we when when we've talked a bit more. But the thing that I think is interesting here is not help. This is his words, not mine. Sorry, Lewis, if I'm throwing you under the bus here. Um, not helped by the fans who having called for passing football whilst we boringly almost got promoted, some now resent it. I think that's mm-hmm. a really interesting way of looking at it as well. Because there are definitely some Swansea fans who said, you know, the passing football above all else is their priority. And, and credit to them. If that's what they want, I'm, who am I to, to say no to that? But I think it's a really interesting thing that normally with one person, I'll, I'll use Newcastle as an, an example, 90% of the owner of the fans would say the problem was the owner uh, up until not long ago. Um, everyone was kind of united on that. I think it's fascinating for me, even though it's only a tiny microcosm of, of people who replied, I think it's really fascinating for me that of everyone who did reply, everyone gave a slightly different reason. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's a real mm-hmm. worry to me. I, find, I think, it, as you say, it's interesting that, that, that there's different answers. And I think that's a, a, a sort of a, a sign of a club that's in a, in a, a bit of a malaise. Um, inevitably, you're going to get a spectrum of views on these things. People that think, you know, the good, good play, good passing play above everything else, you're going to get people that are very wedded to that and that is their priority. And then you're going to get folk who they don't care what happens. They'll win, you know, win one nil with a an own goal and it's the points in the bag that are most important and most people are somewhere on that spectrum aren't they of what's what's the yeah. most fundamentally important thing to them um i think it's interesting that but i think all of those answers can be right all of those points can be valid there are questions about the ownership and their investment um as you said if they're looking to create assets whilst reducing the level of the academy then that seems contradictory. Then you then you've got assets being realised, such as the selling of Downs, and not reinvested in the team. So you've got those questions. And those are genuine questions. Then you've got whether Russell Martin's kind of management of the squad in terms of what he's actually got, and then asking what is that, how he's asking them to perform on the field, whether those two things are tied together, sort of rationally. Then you've got the players on the field looking, sort of discombobulated and rushed and and making errors you know that first goal that Middlesbrough scored for example was a classic a classic example of something that generated from a Swansea error you've got them not closing down enough on the second goal that Middlesbrough scored for example so I think I think all of the above are correct I think there's questions about all of the above and in some respects that might be the most alarming thing that there doesn't seem to be something that is going well you know all of the facets of the club have got question marks above them. Yeah, I agree. And I think what's damning about all of this, in addition to everything you've said there, which again, I think is spot on, 
Swansea have conceded the joint most goals in the division. Uh, I think they've only scored five goals uh, in six games, which in and of itself is relatively is not that bad, I suppose. But Middlesbrough, for example, who've conceded 10 as well, have also scored nine. So there's a bit more of an offset there, I suppose. I think what's difficult is, in my view, and I, I was thinking about this today, I think I might have said this when we talked about this on a previous pod or maybe even written a blog about it. I can't remember. But from my experience with owners, and you know, I do not feel sympathy for Manchester United in any way, I would like to say, but I would say the same on Man United at the moment. When you get an ownership group, regardless of what they want to get out of it, when they are consistently making decisions to the detriment of what happens on the football pitch, whatever their modus operandi is, everything else, the triple down from there is is, is bad. I think, if it, in my opinion, I think Russell Martin is, is, is making life hard for himself by the tinkering, by the decisions he's making, by not being willing to have a plan B. I think all of that is is on him. Even the players making an error, I think, is on him because he's asking them to do something that I don't think they are all capable of doing. I think the problem is, though, is that once you get an ownership group who are just concerned about one thing, which in this interest, in this case, seems like money, something has to change. And, you know, it's not for me to lecture Swansea fans, but th- if it... I think that, that Swansea fans potentially w- want to consider being more proactive about this ownership group before things get worse. And again, I like having you know having been someone who's had a football team to support, whose owners owners have been a nightmare for fourteen years and saw us relegated twice. I, I've I've seen this happen, and there's so many similarities: selling players, not being willing to reinvest. Like it, I'm, I'm telling you now, it only ends one way. And I think if Swansea stay up this year, which, for what it's worth, I do not think is any sort of guarantee. But if they do stay up this year, then next year, you're straight back in the same boat. And if your plan is only ever to kind of keep your head above water, eventually you just can't do that all the time. Newcastle got relegated twice. You know, and again, I know it's a different level, but Man United are drifting and drifting and drifting. Swansea, I would put in a similar sort of boat in in, in the sense that you know, this is a real slippery slope, I think. And, and I think there is a much bigger issue here for me than, than just how things are now, the manager, whatever the fans want, blah, blah, blah. I think there is a real, there's real alarm bells going off in my head here. Yeah, I suppose you can see very real similarities with, as you said, the last dozen years or so at, at Newcastle and how everything just, there was no integration of anything, was there? And I thought that I, I'm with you. I think that would be a fear. Um, well, that's uh, a real neg- a negative thing. So I, I, <laughs> let's not carry on too much on Swansea. But fingers crossed, they already sort themselves. They can sort themselves out in the in the coming weeks and get them out, get themselves out of the trouble that they are in. Um, now we wanted to kind of have a, a different kind of conversation at the end uh, of this podcast, which I started thinking about after uh, Bournemouth. I was going to say Portsmouth then. Bournemouth lost 9-0 <laughs> to Liverpool on the weekend. About Wales's kind of defensive options. Mepham played in that game. I'm far from blaming him for the 9-0 defeat, just to be clear. But just as an example, he, he scored an own goal. He, he got brought off uh, about 10 minutes or so before the end of the game. 
Um, and I mean, some of the goals that Bournemouth, and I know it's Liverpool, but my God, they conceded some stinkers there. Um, one question that we were asked by the catchily named That 1984 on TTWAR, <laughs> have any other Camerag players, apart from Mepham and Moore, ever played for a team that lost 9-0 or worse? I'm going to level with you, Ruth. I did not uh, investigate the answer to that question anyway. <laughs> uh, did you? No, I was thinking though. I mean, there was there's the, the, the Leicester Southampton games that had similar score lines, wasn't there? There was a couple of those games. I can't think that there was anyone. I'm not sure if Ward played in goal in one of those games, maybe. Um, and then I know Man U put nine past someone in the early days of the Premier League, but again, I I can't even remember who the someone was. And then if you go back to the old football league, goodness knows. So, no, I have no idea, frankly. <laughs> no, I, I think that might have been against Ipswich, that 9-0. Uh, yes, you're right. Yes, 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 it was. It was against Ipswich, yeah. Um, the other one I had in my head is I feel like, didn't Chelsea beat Aston Villa like 8 or 9-0 not long ago? I wondered if Neil Taylor might have been in that Aston Villa team was the only other one I could think of. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, maybe. So to answer your question, uh, I we don't know. Um, but if you, <laughs> if you if you do have an answer and want to share that with us, please please do. Um, we wanted to talk about the defensive side of things. Uh, and Mike Jones asked the question: Lockie has got to be involved in the next few games ahead of the World Cup, surely. Um, I I would agree with that. Uh, and I think that's kind of going to an interesting part of the conversation. A equally, Galwarin was in France, asked, could the World Cup squad be shaken up by last-minute inclusions, given some people having a great start to the season, or will it remain unchanged? Um, there's lots of these, that type of question, and there's a few more that we'll go mm -hmm. into as well. Um, let's start looking at the defensive side of things, Ruth. If, if let's, we just, let's get three out of the way to start off with, in Rodden and Ampadu <laughs> and Davis, because those three are definitely going to be involved. And I'm sure there's the others that will be involved as well. But it's just interesting to know where we think you kind of rank them. So in my mind, I'm looking through Lockyer, Cabambo, Cabango, sorry, Mepham, Norrington, Davis, Lawrence, and obviously Gunter is in there as well. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, he's just moved to Wimbledon. But I, I think it's going to be interesting. Let's say for the sake of argument, you're going to take six of those, uh, you're going to take six of those players um, assuming that Rodden, Ampadu and Davis are already kind of nailed on. Out of interest, who would your other three be there, do you think? So we're just talking about potential centre-backs, are we? Yes, just the centre-backs Yeah, just the centre-backs. I, um, I think I would be taking Gunter because I think the fact that he can play sort of right across that three and wing back if it came to it. I think there is a versatility there that might actually be quite useful. Um, I'm taking Reese Norrington Davies because I, we do need some backup for Nika Williams and Connor Roberts. And although having said what I just said about Gunter, I'm not sure he's, you know, the most ready to do that. I think of the of the straightforwards kind of centre backs, if you're looking at Cabango and Lockyer and Mepham and Lawrence. I find it interesting that Mepham was involved in June and Lawrence wasn't, for example, even to the point where we were calling up people late and we called up um, Oliver Denham from Cardiff and not Lockyer. I, it just seems strange to my mind that, you know, there was 
a natural gap there in that squad and it wasn't Lockyer that they called up and I do find that interesting because he'd had a very good season with Luton he's back playing now he's played in the last couple of games um I'm I'm really stuck on this because I I think there's a question mark from Paige about Lockyer what happened in June it seems to me to indicate that there's a question mark but I don't know what it is um then Mepham had a good series of games with us in June. Obviously, didn't play in the key one, but played in the others. And so, you know, he helped his stock in June. Perhaps what's happening with Bournemouth at the minute isn't particularly helping his stock. But it's not as though we haven't played players before who've been at the, the you know, the wrong end of the Premier League, for example. So uh, I'm finding it a bit of a quandary because I don't, I don't think my thinking and Paige's thinking are necessarily the same because for me, Lockie would be involved. I wouldn't have Cabango because he does he does seem a little hot headed, and I think there's reasons not to not to go down that route. He's not been involved in the in the June camp and all that. You know, I think I think I would leave that alone. Um, so I guess I would be taking Lockie Mepham. Gunter and Norrington Davies probably out of that permutation with maybe James Lawrence as sort of first first reserve. Yeah, I, it's so difficult, isn't it? And like a lot of what you've said, I agree with that. I think he likes Norrington Davies because he's versatile. And I think he mm-hmm. li- likes that kind of play. And Norrington Davies has been playing in a back three as well at club level. So I think that yeah. helps. He, is... he might be the most on, obvious sort of sub if Ben Davies was injured, for example, mightn't he, in that position. We've seen him play there before for us. So I think he, he might be like that left-sided centre-back slash left wing-back reserve, as it were. Yeah, I think so. And I think what also goes in someone like Gunter's favour, and it's not answering my own question, but he, the fact that the squads are now up to 26... Yes. means that yeah. you can have, you can have two players for every position, three goalkeepers and sort of have like two spares if you like. Yeah. And I yeah. think and I think for me Gunter falls in the camp of one of those two spares and I would say not that again it's my own question but I would say Johnny Williams falls into that category as well mm-hmm. probably. Um as a consequence I'm going to discard Gunter because I think he will be the 26th or 25th man if you like. Mhm. Yep. So for me I think Norrington Davis 100%. That versatility is there. I think he likes Mepham, and I think he likes that Mepham is is better with his feet and better with his with the ball. So I think he would be there as well. I just, for me, Lockyer, just thinking about this in a practical level, I see no kind of genuine reason why he shouldn't be there. But I wonder if there's something similar, perhaps, that has happened to, let's say, uh, Will Volks. There was a possibility that might have been a bit of a, a fallout there, or not getting enough game time, or you know any one of these reasons where the manager has said, "If you can't commit 100%, I'm not interested," or the player has said, mm-hmm. "Why aren't I getting more game time?" And they've had a bit of back and forth. I don't know. It, just the way that that happened to Volks and is now similarly happened to Lockyer does make me think that there's something to that. Um, and I could be wrong. I often am, but um, I, I think that says that to me. So I think. You're right about Cabango as well, which means to me that's where I think the actual issue is here. That, that kind of real lack of depth to, to, to an extent is revealing itself there. Because if Lockyer doesn't go because they're at a fallout or whatever excuse you want to make for that, Cabango doesn't go, he's not been involved for ages. So 
then the, then it has to be James Lawrence, who, to be fair, mm-hmm. has has been in and around the squads um, when when he's been called upon and has kind of I I you know a few of my pals aren't keen on him, but I I, I don't think he's ever really put a foot wrong for us. So mm-hmm. I I do I I do. I do think that he would be in with a shout. So I think it would end up assuming, you know, we said who those three, I think that the three others will be Mepham, Norrington Davis and James Lawrence. I think, although I would prefer Lockyer. I, I, I think Kibango's biggest thing that goes in his favor is that he is young. He is, he, he can be good with a ball at his feet, but he's very good in the air. I think he's kind of physical, um, He's relatively quick and he's young. He's still got that possibility to kind of grow into the squad. So whilst I may not be his biggest fan, I think that asset and the experience he would gain from going to a World Cup also is a, a tick in his box as well. So I, mm-hmm. I, I, it's hard, really. I, 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 would, I think two of those three are nailed on and I think it's, then it's a real toss-up between Lawrence and Cabango, in my opinion. I would probably take James Lawrence, but I, I could understand why Cabango would be the, the spare slot there as well. I, I think Paige has probably shown more um, loyalty, more connection with, with taking Lawrence than Cabango. Um, so I guess I'm le- I would lean that way between the two of them. I think I would take Lockyer if it was a straight choice, but I, I, it's like I was saying before, I can't see a reason why Lockyer hasn't been involved, and particularly in the June camp. So there is some suggestion that there's an issue there. We have no idea. We've got nothing to base that on. It just, it just looking for a reason why that's, you know, that seems the only thing I can, I can nail down. So, um, I think we're at a point where we've got a clear starting back five, and after that, it becomes a little bit more concerning. Um, and as you said, I don't think anyone on that list has really let us down when they've played. It's just. We're just so much better when we have that back. That's what is now the established back five, starting back five. I I would agree. Um, and on this kind of theme, like I say, from Galois in France, mentioned it there. Apple Sticker has also asked a similar question, um, and a relatively close question from Nick Latham as well. That they uh, Apple Sticker and Galois in France were asking about youngsters coming up into the squad, someone who's maybe had a good start to the season. Um, and Latham has also uh, Nick Latham, sorry, has also asked. Which one of the three of Bale, James Moore, and Johnson would you start? So, Ruth, quick fire questions. If you were going to play three out of Bale, James Moore, and Johnson in our usual setup, who of those three start, mm-hmm. starts up front in the first game against the USA? I think I, I think it would be Johnson would be on the bench for me, and James and Bale and Moore would be starting. There's a reason that we started like that against the the Ukrainians. Um, I think Johnson has the most potential impact off off the bench, um, and I, I particularly as we've only got these two friendlies coming up, um, not two friendlies, these two Nations League games coming up now before November. We haven't really got much time to be doing anything dramatically different, and I think if that was our starting trio for the Ukraine game, I can't see much reason to do something very different. Uh, yeah, I mean, I uh, I am loath to disagree with you, Ruth. Sorry, Nick, it's not an exciting <laughs> answer. I think Johnson, at the moment at least, is is, be- is best 
spell is is going to be off the bench that impact off the bench i think james mm-hmm. james's work rate gives him such a uh a boost in my opinion uh, and i think you have to start Balen more so that's what i would go for mm-hmm. um so to to answer some of the other questions we'll actually in fact we'll come back to those two questions about the youngsters coming up uh apple sticker uh has asked do you think it is worth buying the panini sticker album <laughs> um, I haven't primarily because I don't know where I would start to get the stickers around here <laughs> so to be honest I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it I think um, you know I have no idea what sort of price tag comes with getting enough stickers to actually you know potentially fill your well at least fill the part of the album you wanted to fill so I don't really know if that's how I feel about that because it's not something I've really thought about. I'm guessing it must add up by the time you perm enough of the packets to get what you need. Um, I I would agree with that. Whilst you were talking there, I've tried to very quickly Google how much uh, Mm -hmm. it is and uh, I don't know, uh, which is not (laughs) particularly helpful. Um, Oh God, it's now trying to ask me to download something. I don't want to do that. Um, So I will, (laughs) I will see if I can find that out. Um, I, I guess it's one of those things that's a, re- a real treasure. If, you, if you've got it, I can imagine it being incredibly frustrating if you were short of just a couple of stickers. And, you know, I just—I don't know. Perhaps, perhaps I don't want to go down that road because I think I would find it ultimately more frustrating than fun. <laughs> that's true. And I don't, I don't know how many people in, uh, in the small uh, Oregon village that you live with you'd have, you'd, you'd be able to do swapsies with, uh, I would imagine. I can't, I, can't, I can't see it really working out here somehow, can you? <laughs> No, I don't think that uh, is the most likely. Um, I've ju- t- uh, just a random Google on the Panini website. You can buy um, the Women's Euro 2022 sticker collection uh, and a hundred box and hundred packets of stickers. Sorry, uh, was a hundred and two, a hundred and two euros. Right, which strikes me as quite a lot of money, if I'm honest. Um, yeah, you can. Yeah. According to this, you can buy complete sets from Panini. So, like this one has the Wales, uh, the Portugal women's set uh, was is two ninety. So, I'd be interested in buying that actually for two ninety. Especially, I do. I don't know if a shiny still a thing. Can you get a shiny with it? If, if it was, if I was going to get a Wales shiny, I'd be keen. Um, <laughs> uh, in as always, uh, Apple sticker. You have asked us a question which we have no answer for, which is. <laughs> Which is, which is, well, I think my answer is no. Yeah. Uh, which is the exact sort of insight people want uh, for this podcast. I don't think I'm going to get it. I feel like a hundred quid for a lot of boxes of stickers uh, is bad. Plus, I think if I'm that teacher walking around school trying to do swapsies, you know, at 38 years old with a with a couple <laughs> of year sevens, I, that's not a good look. So I think I'm out. Um, very quickly, Ruth, do you think there's going to be, uh, according uh, again from uh, Gower and France and Apple Sticker again, do you think there are going to be any kind of surprises or do you think Col will be in the surprise of the last one is is as much of a surprise as we're going to get in this instance? Yeah, my gut reaction is I, I'm not expecting any surprises, but then, I, like you say, I wasn't expecting Col in the, in the Euros either. Um, I mean, I, I guess by surprises, we probably mean someone like Oliver Denham or even Jay Williams over at Fulham, someone really kind of left fieldish. I could see perhaps Wes Burns being included, um, given that we're up at 26, for that kind of versatility that you were talking about. Um, 
I think beyond that, I'm not really... I think the, the irony is with the 26, it really doesn't... It means that Paige doesn't have a great deal of sort of angst-ridden decisions to make, really, does he? He can, he, he can go with what's an obvious an obvious number. And then I think people like, you know, I think there's enough people that might be on the cusp of the 26, such as Rabbi Matondo, that I can't see it being a completely left field decision of someone that we, we haven't really even considered that gets slotted in. Yeah. I know. The one for me is Kem Campbell. He's, he's been on the bench for Wolves um, this season. Mm-hmm. We do, you know, that interest, that striker position, is an interesting one for me. Yep. Tyler Roberts, you know my opinions on him. Uh, Matondo, there's a lot of things there. I, I, I just don't know. Is Brooke going to be back in time? I don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, you know, there's there's a question mark there. Is Harry Wilson going to be fit in time? I don't know. So I do wonder whether some kind of that would be my bolt from the blue. He apparently, according to um, uh, the Red Dragon on Twitter, thank you uh, for getting back to me. He uh, apparently he refused a under twenty ones call up to concentrate on England. Let's uh, concentrate on England. Concentrate on getting into the team at Wolves, which I suppose mm-hmm. is not a great sign that he would then get a call up to the first team. But I I do wonder if he would be the one that I would at least like to see in that world. Whether whether that's, that's too soon for him or he's not willing to commit or what or whether that's too much of a gamble. I don't know. But he he is the one I think who's. If he's on, someone is on the periphery of something. I think he would be the one that would most intrigue me. Okay, that not wanting to be called up for the twenty ones would be a bit of a red flag for me. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I I don't like that. I I, I don't know because you don't know what position he's at with Wolves and you know. But I I would have thought that <laughs> that is a positive thing on your resume and that is a sort of validation of where you're at and kind of demonstrates your value. I would have thought it was something that was worth having and a new experience and new voices, which you could take back to Wolves. I mean, I, I would have thought it was a positive, really. Um, even for, you know, a young player that's trying to break into the first team, I would have thought that that dynamic might be interesting and positive for him. And I think it's interesting that he said no. Yeah, I, I think the same. Although if he's good enough, I, you know, it's all well and good having this great group mentality, and I believe in that. But mm-hmm. also, you know, if someone can come off and score you a, a goal in the World Cup final, oh, yeah, then yeah. Uh, no, get I'm, him not, in, I'm not saying it doesn't it, it stops him. I'm just saying I find I find it an interesting choice, yeah. and hence it raises some questions. That's yeah. all. No, no, yeah. no. I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Right, ladies and gents, our aim of doing an hour has just about been fulfilled. Is there anything else you want <laughs> you wanted to add, Ruth? No, I think we've. Um, I think we've covered everything, haven't we? Just yeah. in terms of, we got through all the questions that people popped on, up on Twitter, yes, even we if did. they were "I have no idea" answers. Yes, <laughs> no, they've all got to mention, even if we uh, couldn't answer them. So, uh, thank you to everyone who's gone in touch with us. We do love the questions, um, and hopefully, we'll get more of them coming. Um, we'll be back soon, I assume, after the uh, after the Slovenia game, where hopefully we'll be celebrating. Uh, Mm-hmm. some progress for the Wales women obviously the the game's coming up the Belgium game and the Poland game I got a ticket for the Belgium game by the way going to that with uh, mm-hmm. with a few of my pals which will be good um, so yeah we're, ahead Excellent. of those games we'll be, we'll be doing something as well uh, plus mm-hmm. I, I remember when we went to Prague I recorded like five minutes of drunken nonsense at different points through yeah. the day uh, and I forgot to do that when we went to, to Rotterdam but I think I'll do that again uh, when we go 
to Brussels mm-hmm. now in a couple of weeks because I found listening to that highly entertaining, uh, even if it was complete nonsense. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll try and remember <laughs> to do Complete nonsense, that. but at least made you laugh, eh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I suppose with the addition of some strong Belgian lagers, I uh, I don't know how, how successful that would be. But, you know, I'm willing to give it a go just for the podcast, Truth. That would be a like, kind of interesting counterpoint, wouldn't it? You know, you, you, um, your Czech lagers versus your Belgian beers and which, which audio came out yeah. worse or better. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't know which one of those to be. Considering I had a can about 10 minutes of the Czech one, I, I, don't know, uh, I don't know how much of it would be appropriate against the Belgians after that. But anyway, uh, we, will f- we will find out in a couple of weeks, ladies and gents. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your time, as always, Ruth. Yeah, that was great. That was good. Good luck to the to the ladies. Just uh, fingers crossed for them over the weekend. Absolutely, absolutely. Good luck to them. I hope I hope the game goes well, and we will both be watching on. So fingers crossed. Uh, and have a good week, everybody. Uh, we will be back uh, very soon. We hope, and we will speak to you then. Good night. Bye bye. <laughs>